as an artist, your career will last your lifetime, or at least that should be the plan anyway. And what you study in school may not always be what you do for the rest of your life. New opportunities come up, say, getting a job teaching for a while. New technologies get developed where they need someone who can learn software quickly and then create with it even faster. Sometimes you find out you're really good at something you never even thought of, like identifying and collaborating with other artists that are on the rise. So over the next few weeks, as we head into the end of the year and start thinking about plans for next year, about what we're going to do and where we're going to go and how we're going to make a living, I'm going to talk with some artists whose careers have pivoted several times in their career. And I want to stress that their careers are not over, because one thing to understand as an artist is that you can do anything you want, and that is what makes a lifetime in the arts so rewarding. On this episode of Creative Mind, I talk with Aaron Watamuz. He's a musician, a stop-motion artist, an animator, a curator, and even, you could say, a technologist. In short, Aaron is a working artist, and an artist working in the contemporary art scene as well. That hard-to-understand, frustrating world of art that few people like and even fewer people get right now. Here's Aaron Guatemuz. Downtown Redwood City, there was a place called Pony Express, and that's where all the bands played. You know, when I first heard about it, it was kind of on the glam scene, but by the time I was in high school, pretty much the metal punk scene had taken it over. You know, the first time I actually heard of Green Day was because my buddy had it on, had that written on the grip tape of his skateboard. He had Green Day. <laughs> and his, his little punk band, he had a punk band called Think, which I still think is an awesome name. But they opened for Green Day at the Pony Express, which fits, fits like 30 people. That was the first time I heard of them because that was one of the spots on the West Bay that you could play. And it was like, oh, really? you know, three to three to five bucks. Back to, in the day when you could actually go see a band for five bucks. Yeah. And there, you know, there'd be mosh pits like were basically that intruded on the band. You know, you got like six feet. You know, like, yeah, the, 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 those, those coffee shops with the risers a foot. Maybe, oh, right. yeah, well, maybe that, a foot yeah, and a half. Was, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and it took, right, it took right. longer for the drummer to set up than the entire band. Oh, totally. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny is a lot of those older dudes, too, that were kind of, they were like ahead of us. And they came from like the the shredder generation. I'd, I'd see people bringing these like kits that belong on like stages at like the Oakland Coliseum into this. Yeah, stadium. like they would be built in frames and they'd be like, yeah, they, they'd have yeah, it in the back of a cages, pickup truck. And you're cages. Like, what, what, and what are you doing? Like, like both guitar players would have like two huge stacks of amps and it's like, <laughs> dude, yeah, I remember I was always trying to keep up with the, the sound, you know. So, uh, so this is going to be fun because we're going to jump in and we're going to get a little nostalgic, but I'm really excited to talk to you because, you know, when we we talked before about doing this and, you know, mm -hmm. going through what you do, you know, and what you do at the Academy and just, you know, the art that you create is, you know, video art, you know, the, the whole thing of contemporary art, interpretive art is such a weird thing for people to understand. And I mean, even myself, who's been involved in it a little bit, these are concepts of art that are so new and yeah. so different than what somebody goes to art school and 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 makes you know art school looking things does, and right. I mean, like how 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 do you explain to somebody video art? Okay, so well, <laughs> <laughs> well, what's it? Okay, so just to jump on that a little bit, I I almost think that the people that like are in the business of like contemporary art 
they don't know what it is. <laughs> you know, no, it, it's this very like nebulous thing. So like contemporary art, I guess, you know, even like it just means art that's happening now in the the second half of this century, whatever. And uh, and it's forever changing. So when you get into video art, I mean, that's kind of it's kind of interesting because I feel like it almost it almost has its roots like way back when. It almost has its roots with people who did like weird art films. Yeah, almost like, you know, the stuff that like, you know, Boonwell and Dali did. You know, I'm sure we'll talk about Kenneth Anger a little bit. But yeah. then, you know, th- that stuff like kind of, um, you know, that you know, really filming performance influenced art. Yeah, and that, but it's not a documentary, but it's right. What what, what the fuck is it? And some of it's totally interpretive. Some of it's like borderline unwatchable. I mean, like Mm. you know, and um, you know, some of it I think might be aimed to torture you a little bit. You know, like the war, (laughs) like Warhol making a twenty-four hour movie. You know, it's like you know, it's like you know that to me. You know, it's where it's where. You take you're taking a medium and you're mixing it with like you know something that's you know more of a you know accepted or regular kind of art form like painting almost like you know like a Basquiat painting what would that look like as a film and it would be something that's just purely interpretive you know so when it comes to the new newer generation of video art you know uh, this has become a thing in contemporary art and you know there's a lot of artists out there that make art that is purely video and they'll make an edition of it just like it's a print or something. And they'll sell it. And it, it's big money stuff. They'll make like an edition of it. They'll make like 10 of them and they'll sell for this crazy amount of money. One of the main artists who kind of started this or one of the big guys in this was Matthew Barney. There are these things that could be shown in museums but couldn't be owned. But people have found ways to like, you know, bootleg them or whatever. Right. That That's, that's one of the things that seems popular with a lot of contemporary art that we're going to you know, just kind of brush over and, and like the punk rock scene and skate art. It's like, how do you own something that is not really tangible? Well, that's true. I mean, it's rather, you mean, you mean like as far as video would go or just art in general? Yeah, it's just, just art, well, art in general for sure, but video art and a lot of this contemporary art does have this kind of idea of it. It's, it's your, you know, if you weren't there, how can you say you saw it? <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yo, you're you're getting like into the real deep. Stuff. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, because I don't get to, we don't get yeah. to talk to people about this kind of stuff that often. So to take it back with my experience with it, I worked for uh, just a just a hot minute in New York for a guy named Lance Kins, who he sadly he passed away a couple of years ago, but he um he was kind of one of the guys who pioneered this the video art thing. He had an artist named Jeremy Blake, who people might know him from, or if I said they would might identify as he did all the weird transitions in the movie Punch Drunk Love, the Adam Sandler, Paul Thomas Anderson movie. He all the like artwork and that is all him, and that's because Paul Thomas Anderson saw his stuff and think in one of the big museums somewhere in some city and really loved it and thought oh, that will work for my movie. But uh, so he would do an edition of his newest thing, but it was it would show like at MoMA. Or, you know, for like a certain amount of time. And, you know, each one of these things might cost 20, 30 grand to own the actual vi- the video. But there's like 10 of them. And then they would make these huge prints of the um, of some scenes in it. And it was all this bright colored stuff. And, you know, right when I was working for them, it seemed like right when this stuff was kind of like really 
starting to happen. Like I remember there, there was the first, I forget her name. I was actually in, in a room with her and I didn't even realize it was her. But one, one of these artists had, was making big news because her film had just cost like some outrageous amount of money to make. And it was like 10 minutes long. You know, it was like six figures, you know, to make it, which, you know, is a lot of money for like a piece of like abstract video art. But then that pretty much there was so much buzz about it. There was pretty much a guarantee that was going to sell. But what I got to say is I worked in this building in Chelsea and it was pretty awesome because I, I was came from San Francisco and I was got to stay in the gallery. And at night they were moving to the top floor. There was just these boxes of art laying around. And now in retrospect, I would at night I'd kind of flip through these framed pieces of art. In retrospect, every single one of those that I was was probably now worth about fifty to hundred grand because there were like artists like uh, Ray Johnson who used to be part of the Warhol Factory, uh, Eugene von Bronkenheim who's like a big outsider artist. He was a finger painter. There's like all these you know those uh, they had some Crum. They had some original Robert Crum. Yeah, and they they also represented Russ Meyer. So they had a bunch of his photos and <laughs> yeah, it was it was kind of all over the place, but like. Like, um, which is funny because a friend of mine who works at the Academy Archives just gave me a film canister that actually is from Russ Meyer's studio. Oh, wow. But, um, you know, I would take the elevator up and down in this building all the time. And I sometimes the doors would open, someone would hop out or something, and I would see something. And I would be like, it would be like a room full of something. And I've been to a few shows. Like, I went to one show in New York where, like, the smell of this room was the art. The room was entirely red, but it, but it was like the aura and the smell. And I later asked that gallery owner because I met her. I said, "How? What is that for sale?" And she said, "Yeah." And they sell you the diffuser and this and that. And what I, what I, what I'm getting at is, I came to learn. I came to kind of learn because one night I actually came back to the gallery, and that guy Lance was there, and he was he was I you know normally when I came back there I, I think I went and saw a show at Irving Plaza or something I came back in the middle of the night I had to turn off the alarm and go downstairs and all stuff but it was on and he had a few beers in him and he had like stacks of books he was organizing books and stuff and I sat with him I picked his brain I said like hey man like I saw something over here or I saw something over there and I just wonder why what makes a splat on a piece of paper what it is like why is that worth hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. And he, his explanation was always something about where, like we were saying, like where being there at a certain time, where it came from, you know, being part of a scene. It was, it was never about the artwork itself. It was never because, oh, because it's, look how beautiful it is. That was like never the answer, you know? Okay. You know? Okay. Because yeah, because yeah, that that's no no that make that because I mean it's it's funny you know because I know when we had talked before and then just you know uh-huh. you gave me a bunch of names to look at and you know just to kind of catch people up it's one of those things that you know you go through art school and I think this will kind of you know explain my questioning to you okay. <laughs> a okay, little right, bit right. okay right. in that right in that you know you go to art school and you learn the classics and then. Okay, yeah, right. You learn how to do something, and then at some point, a professor or a student or a student who's been there way too long and just they make a professor or, you know, you get dragged Mm. to a show by a boyfriend or a girlfriend or somebody, Mm -hmm. and everything you know is now garbage. And (laughs) you're like, 
what but but how come this guy is doing this splat on a wall how come i'm not how come i've just learned how to do all of this great stuff and i know the skill part of it and this is something right you know you know maybe right. i'm the only one who went through this in art school <laughs> okay no no, <laughs> no, you, no 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 you, know, you go is, through yeah, no. you go through this and then you get done and then it's like okay now you have to do something that nobody's ever done before yeah, I and, think, and it's yeah. just this weird thing where it's like you know you start looking you know because then you start looking at like punk rock, outsider art, all this mm. kind of stuff. It's like, well, wait, wait a second. They don't know how to do this. How come they, the royal they, like that better than the stuff I'm doing? <laughs> right, right. And there's 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 a lot of reasons behind that all the time. I mean, there's a lot of like if you if you just pull up Instagram, you'll see, you know, a hundred people if you just search for art that are just doing insane levels of art, like whether it be painting or drawing, like just doing photo real and you know, those kind of things are not are the kind of things that like the the um I don't know what the correct word for it but is but like the people who are like involved in big time contemporary art or next level that they won't even kind of look at that kind of stuff because it's so it's figurative. Um, I got to spend an afternoon with Robert Williams not too long ago. And, and he, um, he, he's been at war with this, his whole life. And supposedly I thought the spiel he was giving me was like something or me and my friend who knows him a lot better than I do. But, um, I thought the thing he was telling me was something that I was thinking, wow, this is amazing. But then you meet other people that know him and he's this is his, he was just talking about how anything figurative when they when he was with zap comics in the 60s they came along and they were doing anything figurative they were so looked down upon and because nobody wanted anything to do with anything that wasn't like expressionism and and like anything figurative like so these guys painting these photorealistic crazy out there you know uh that are like take amazing skill to do he said that they they kind of had to create their own scene they did. They had to create their own scene that was from those kind of fringe artists. They were like, you know, the lowrider artists, the tattooists, the animators, the uh, the comic book artists. And then that kind of stuff kind of largely informed the next generation, which became like known as uh, lowbrow art. I kind of right. hate that term. Yeah, that, yeah. You know? Yeah, it's a super, that's, but that's that, becoming he, He's basically again. the founder of that. Yeah, okay. he's kind of the founder okay. of that. And those were the things that, you know, when I was a kid, those were like, I think, like I was like me and you were talking about, I think like Thrasher magazine made an entire generation want to draw. And that was definitely me. Like I, okay. when I first saw a skateboard graphic. I was like, Oh, but anyway, sorry if I'm jumping ahead. Too much. No, 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 no. We, we're talking about stuff that it, it's impossible yeah. to talk about. <laughs> in, in oh, okay. A, right, right. It's right. impossible right. to talk about in a linear way. So it's yeah. true. <laughs> it kind of, cause it's funny. Cause when we talk about these things, it's almost like I said, like even at the beginning, like when, talking about video art, I instantly have to think, well, well, wait, I could name this person that was within the last two decades. Yeah. But then what about that guy that did something like 75 years ago that influenced the guy, you know, 50 years ago that, you know, you know, that's kind of how it is. That's why, you know, that's why this contemporary stuff is so bizarre because there's a, there's, I think, you know, and, you know, I'll, I'll shut up enough about it, but it's always one of those things that I think when you see, when you go to art school and, you know, more poor, you know, somebody, you know, I'm, I'm 40, almost 43. So, you know, you go through art school period, you work, then you go, Hey, I haven't created anything for myself in a while. And I want to create just 
create uh-huh. something. Just, you know, vomit on a page. It doesn't matter. I need right. to create something. And, you know, it harkens you back to that time when you were learning going, well, I got to do something different. And, mm. you know, so many people come into art school with this, you know, they don't know why they come into art school. Um, so long, long question then, you know, long setup to a question. How okay. did you get involved into art and then wanting to go into an art school program? Well, so, um, okay. So it's kind of weird, but it all kind of, like I said, it all kind of goes back to guitar playing. Really? And, um, that, yeah, that's where it all started. Cause that's, that was my main interest. That's all I wanted to do. And by the time I was like, probably like 16, I was, I was halfway. Okay. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, well, you know, and then I, I, I was in, you know, uh, gigging bands by the time I was seventeen. I, pl- I think I played San Francisco clubs when I was seventeen. Oh so, wow! Yeah, I mean, um, and so the the two guys that I started back then with, or not started with, but uh, guys I kind of came together. They're the guys I still to this day play with. So, uh, what um, kind of music but, were you um, playing? Uh, back then, I was started with thrash. Okay. Cause that was huge in the that was huge in SF. We were all over thrash. Oh really? But then I kind of but then it kind of branched out, and I even I started getting really more into kind of some of the. I was always kind of influenced by Bay people, but they were like really uh, different. Like I, one of my favorite guitarists is this guy Tuck Andrus, who's a jazz guy, and he lives in Menlo Park, and he's actually my teacher now. So, but oh. I haven't you know I've I've taken lessons from him, but our oh, one lesson, but but we he we you know talked a lot, and um, um, um. So and I got kind of new agey for a minute there, you know. I liked a lot of like <laughs> classical stuff, but but uh, you know now it's just I purely play like instrumental, weird space rock, proggy stuff with <laughs> these guys. So, but um, but um, but anyway, you know that kind of what I say is you know that in the skateboard art, um, like I I really like you know I think uh, that really influenced wanting to draw, and then I and then I started to draw. And it's funny. There's this whole group of punk rock guys that came kind of that came out of Redwood City, the West Bay, and it's this kind. This is branch of punk rock that's known as power violence, okay. and it's it's actually kind of gone into the mainstream. Like a lot of bands are influenced by it, but some of my friends, you know, th- those were kind of the first guys that kind of took my drawings and kind of like were like embraced me. They were kind of like, wow, like. And just started using them. Like I would just draw something, all of a sudden it would end up like on a flyer or a shirt or something. And then I started kind of becoming known for that. And to this day, I still do stuff for all these guys. Um, <laughs> uh, it, but 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 that being said, okay. So I was always loved animation, and I and I was kind of thinking, you know, music is this sound, visual, drawing. You know, animation just made sense. But back then, animation was kind of a little bit elusive. It was a little bit far away. I mean, we're talking about Super 8 days, 60. Everybody right, was right. Because, I mean, 16. we said this. You know, I asked you, you know, yeah. I asked you off mic, but, you know, yeah. we're, I'm, I'm 43. You're a couple of years older than me. Right. So, so yeah. video in the, so this is probably what, mid, late, late 80s, early 90s you're getting into? Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's, you have Super 8 maybe some video cameras that have intervalometers mm-hmm. or the ability to go frame by frame that you're yeah. kind of maybe trying to use. Mm-hmm. I was only eight millimeter and everybody and everybody was kind of, there was a lot of people that were going to film school and everybody was trying to make their like $5,000 16 millimeter film. 
Right. That was gonna, you know, sure. which, which, you know, nowadays you could shoot it for five bucks. You know what yeah. I mean? It because yeah. like you gotta wait, you gotta wait like for the. It was like this thing where people would shoot films. We'd we'd all help each other shoot films, and there would be this like waiting period to see if it was any good when it came right. back from right. development, right. processing. You know, so it was like, uh, you know, and to clarify, um, good was not whether it was a, whether it was good quality, whether it actually exposed properly <laughs> yeah there's the t- there's the technical side but i would also say the quality side the half of the time you know because a lot of those came back that you thought were going to cut together and make sense and those just became straight art films you know <laughs> right like how, you know we got to splice in so we got to we got oh, let's go the other direction <laughs> that, quick that happened <laughs> quick get some gi joes and some matches and we'll totally. melt them and it'll be a it'll be a it'll yeah. be a political statement trust me it'll be fine yeah so I, uh, you know, I, that's that's kind of what informed that, I would say. So I kind of started in film and then I studied animation. What then pushed you and what was your steps then to getting into the world that you started creating in with, you know, the animation you're doing and the music and um, some of the technology background and, and career? Okay, yeah. what, what, what moved you into that? Um, so I think it was, um, well, it's kind of, it's kind of weird because I, you know, I, like, I always looked up to things that were, um, you know, like I looked up to people like Chuck Jones, Tex Avery. I love Mm -hmm. the Marx Brothers. I love Stanley Kubrick. Like, those are the things that like, I, that like, if I have to like really sit down and read about something that I'm interested in, I'll. Like I'll read about, I could read about Kubrick for like hours and not even realize it. So I always kind of knew I wanted to like do something that was outside of the, you know, I didn't want any kind of confines, but what led me to creating what I do now, I think is um, a little bit of getting the opportunity to do it. A little bit of like, you know, just, you know, one job kind of serendipitously leaving, leading to another job Mm -hmm. that ultimately, you know, that, that got me some experience you know, well, well, okay. So this is a little bit abstract, not not well, maybe not abstract, but but like um, sometimes, like I always, I've noticed this a lot. People in history who have had these like really uh, opinions that people either revere or hate are people that are, are they didn't stop at a point where it could be a, where it could work for the world. They had to be extreme. It's always mm-hmm. that way. And and like so like in the instance of somebody like the the writer Ayn Rand, right? She's mm-hmm. somebody who's like loathed by some people and some people right. embrace it. But it's a really extreme thing. Yeah. But there's some really interesting ideas in there. And one of them is in her story The Fountainhead. That character he's an architect. He's like the most brilliant architect in the world. But he would rather see his work destroyed than be compromised by people who aren't as good at it. So there's these points where he goes into that he actually goes and works in a rock quarry for like okay. months, <laughs> just you know. And um, that's kind of actually, if there's anything in my life, because here's the truth: like when by back when I was in school and all that stuff, that is so long ago. Like that stuff, we're not even doing that anymore, right? We're not right. doing half that stuff. So. I actually stepped outside of the world of, you know, doing, working on anything. Um, I was always doing art, but like anything career-wise. And I like worked in construction at, for like long periods of time, a couple of times. And I kind of think of that as like my rock quarry time. <laughs> okay. But that like, you know, where I just kind of went out there and it's not like I thought my work was 
better than anybody else's. It had nothing to do with that. It was more about I just didn't want to work in those confines and and I wanted to learn how to do all these things. But that like those times so largely informed everything I do. Like seriously, because that's where I learned how to do everything almost. What do you mean? I learned how to use. I learned how to use tools. Okay. And anytime you know any are like all tools, I learned how basic things go together. All this you know mechanics, um, plumbing, like just every single thing you know. And every time you know I would just collect all these ideas, they would always in my mind be headed back towards art. Like I was always thinking, how can I apply this? Right. That how can I apply this someday. The goal was always to get back to art. It was always to get back to art. So, so, um, um, you know, and what, I mean, not to jump ahead, uh, zoom ahead too much, but this is where I feel like stop motion comes in very much because that is where you take all of those things and you apply it to art. That's where animation, that's the style because, you know, you put me behind a 3D system and I'm, you know, I might, you know, learn it. but I'm not, it's not the same as me building things and it doesn't appeal to me in that same way, you know? Um, As far as the technology goes, you know, I kind of just like worked my way up in that. And I, you know, I started as a game tester many, many years ago. (laughs) You know, there was a period of time where I very much chased commercial success. Mm -hmm. And, and I really don't want to look at that artwork at all now. I don't, (laughs) none of it was good. You know what I mean? It was, I was trying to please people and everything that I done that I care about is stuff I did that was, came from a a place. But what I'm getting at with the students and stuff is um, many of them, especially this younger generation, because when I first started at the Academy, it was like 13, 14 years ago. And, um, you know, Which is first, a lifetime first, in art, it seems like. Right. I was a lot closer to the age of the kids, right? Mm-hmm. So when I'd bring up something like in a, an experimental animation class, when I'd bring up like, oh, like a video by Tool or something, you know, like mm-hmm. one that's sure. like one of the stop motion videos that kind of made a band big, right? Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of kids would pop up and have like all these, you know, tool fans and have all these opinions. Oh, well, I think that they were better then or this and that. Now <laughs> I ask, now you ask the, uh, the, in this, the, all the kids that I have now or whatever, like, you know, maybe some of them. I'm sorry if, you know, you know some of the online <laughs> classes, I don't know some, but, you know, 90% of them don't even know what that is. You know what I mean? Right. And so, um, um, but so I kind of wonder, I think there's a sense a lot of them love the stuff they grew up with. And they're kind of growing up and they're kind of, um, you know, coming in to get the technical knowledge to go do it and hopefully be part of that, you know, be okay. part of that. I don't know if there's and I, I've, I've met a few and there's a few younger ones, uh, students that I had that were just fantastic that I feel like have that. But I almost kind of and wonder how many of them are coming through the school with the notion of I'm going to pave my own way in the world as an artist. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I don't know how much of that is, how much a lot of them I feel like are kind of coming, are studying to, to learn the technicals and then, you know, go work for Disney or go work for, you know, one of those, which is great. I mean, that, that would, that, that, that's great. You know, because if you can do that, you're, you're just, you know, that's great. And that's, what's interesting about stop motion is that a lot of the, I notice a lot of the um, the students that come through, you know, they are the ones that are really passionate about it, have very, very specific things that they want to put on screen. Yeah, I, I really want to get into that because that was something I was 
yeah. I mean, I grew up doing stop motion. I think there's that generation oh, cool. of us who, you know, if you're over 40 and into art stuff, you, you your dad or your uncle had a Super 8 camera because everybody had a Super 8 mm-hmm. camera in the 60s and 70s. And you learned right. how to, you know, set your G.I. Joes on fires or blow them up with fireworks. And then you got video cameras and they became cheap by the time you were in high school and after high school. And then it disappeared. And it was all computers. And that was a that was a learning curve. And then things like, I mean, for me, it was Robot Chicken, but so many okay, other yeah. people, it, I think for, you know, everyone has their thing, but there was this resurgence of stop motion mm-hmm. that turned it into something, you know, not even viable, but beyond viable as almost like right. a better alternative. I mean, how how for you has stop motion become this, method of choice well well like okay well at the very beginning of that i would say it's because you can kind of animate with anything Mm. you know okay you can kind of dig into your you know junk drawer and figure out something to animate you know i mean but um but uh i think i i actually okay so we had we actually had a conference with that studio stupid buddy they do robot chicken they were saying they're they're busier than they've ever been right now and they're they have like you know 70 stages going on any given Holy day cow. well and it's because there's a lot of demand for it but but one of the things that they kind of touched on that i really think is a huge thing and that is the technology and that is that dragon frame the program dragon frame to mm-hmm. shoot stop motion animation that's the industry standard and anybody can own it for $300 so oh it's my like, gosh yeah, it's 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 a well. Yeah, if you're a student, even less than that. But like, I'm I'm like pitching for them right now. Uh, I'm, no, I'm, like, no, sell, I'm okay. selling. I'm selling this thing. <laughs> but, 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 um, but all you need, if you have that and a DSLR camera, a couple lenses, that's what they use to shoot every single stop motion movie in the last, you know, couple oh, decades. Wow. So, well, okay. no, maybe not couple decades. So when I was at the academy, when I was in this. When I was in this department last, before I came back to to Stop Mo, um, you know that was right when before Dragon Frame came out, right? Right. So we were using something called I Stop Motion. There wasn't a lot of stuff out there. We were using like standard video cameras and I Stop Motion. Okay. And then Dragon Frame kind of came along, and just blew this wide open. Hmm. So it really it and it's also it's a great tool for all kinds of things. But um, so. What I'm what I'm getting at is that the cost of it has come way down, yeah, and the cost of doing it is way down. And I think it is actually, it's something that I really honestly believe instantly kind of intrigues. It kind of has this thing that pulls people into it because of the way it looks. Because uh, I, I really there's this argument, you know, are, is there an emotional difference between something that's photographed? Or something that's generated computer-wise, mm-hmm. and a lot of people argue, no, the me- it uh, the medium doesn't matter. It's the story, it's the character, it's this and that. Um, I agree with that, but I also <laughs> I also am not looking to really watch too many 3D movies. You know sure. what I mean? I'm not yeah. I'm not really into that. I don't like, know. I, like I'm, I I'm, I'm old I'm enough to have done dark actually done dark room in high school. I'm like I don't know, man. You know, you gotta, you gotta, if you, if, if you're not using chemicals, man, it's not real. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) well, I'm with, I'm with you there too. I totally am. But here, but the thing about that is, is that, um, I, I believe that, that it being a truly tangible thing that you're looking at does change the emotional reaction naturally. I just, I believe that because 
I I mean, even I look back to some of the early stop motion stuff, like you, I, you know, me and you are slightly same generation, but a lot of that stop motion stuff I saw was on MTV shows like sure. Liquid Television. Oh, yeah, Liquid Television, and, and, 120 and, and, minutes. And, yeah. and even even their bumpers, you know, they had they had the Brothers Quay bumpers, and that was yeah. the first time I saw that stuff with like baby heads with nails in it and like using yeah. magnetic, you know, and that stuff we were like, whoa, like what is like that's the stuff that like we really were like that is like the coolest. Well, thing it's I've ever funny. Seen. This kind of answers that you question know? that I asked you. It was like yeah. that is that was almost like punk rock for a lot of us visual artists. Yeah, because oh, it was absolutely. like I can get a rock and glue some googly eyes on it and move absolutely. it around a stage, and you know, screw you, I can make it. Absolutely. And and what's fun, I remember one time I heard somebody say that like uh Brothers Quay inspired an entire generation to break open electronics and pull circuit <laughs> boards and start animating them. You know, like pasting them to baby heads and animating right, yeah. them, which is is kind of true. But see, that's what I'm saying. Like right after that, then all of a sudden, like, you know, Tool puts out their first video. Right. And what's interesting is I saw them I saw that that band open for Rollins band when they were like kind of oh like a nothing California. Yeah, it was a long time. And it was a, and they were amazing. And next thing I know, that video comes out and I I, I literally Literally, honestly, think okay. They're they are a good band. Okay, I'm yeah. not super into them. I'm not. That's not my thing. But we, we, um, everybody has owned a Tool CD at some point, right? Yeah. Well, I, I love the first two. I think yeah. they're great. But but um um, I really think that that stop motion work that Adam Jones, their guitar player, did is one of the main reasons why they are so they became so gigantic. Yeah, because people just latched onto that. You yeah, know, that, and I don't that know came if that would have so been far out. Yeah. yeah. And it was so weird. None of it makes any sense, but it's visually <laughs> right. just amazing. Yeah. And I don't think it, that would have been the same. I, I honestly don't think that would be have been the same if it was a 2D thing or if it was a 3D thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe oh, 2D. For sure. Here's a, a counter argument to me. When I was in, like, I can't remember what grade grade it was. We the video for Money for Nothing by Dire Straits came out. Sure, and that yeah, was a, yeah. That's a really early CG video, yes. like yes. our our 3D, yeah. and it's got like real. Everyone's blocky, and we thought that was the most amazing thing we had ever seen. It, it, it's it, it'll come up on a YouTube feed of mine, and I'll still stop and watch it because it's like, damn, yeah. that was so good. <laughs> yeah, was, yeah, no, it, it's. It, it's cool, you know, and, you know, I mean, when the movie Tron came out, I was yeah. in first grade. I saw it in the theater, and I was obsessed with it. I mean, I just, and these felt like, humo- they were humongous leaps. You know, yeah. they really were. But what I what I love about stop motion is that um, I went, I, I have a friend, and he used to teach at the school. His name's Justin Kahn. I went to his house. He's worked on every one of those Henry Selleck movies. He's a fabulous animator mm-hmm. fam- great armature builder i just went up to his uh, studio a couple weeks ago and he has an actual i guess universal released these actual uh replicas of the armature of king kong from oh, wow. 1930 okay i, I think the, it was the Harryhausen type it, it was willis o'brien okay willis okay. o'brien 1933 three but somebody's gonna say no dude it was 34 or what you know but but anyway and i was looking at this thing in comparison to one of his armatures and i was kind of like nothing has changed and he says no you know well we do it a little it's a little different but it's still the mechanics are all the same you know the materials are better the 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 lays the mills are better yeah um but but this goes back you know, and and the fact that we can still do this now and do it at a high level and mix it with other technologies, like right. like you know, okay. 
Yeah, and that that's I think where it's going. I think that it's getting mixed up, you know, like because you know those Leica movies have so much, you know, digital love put into them. You know, yeah, so, for sure, for sure. And, yeah, and yeah you can beautiful. Actually, you can color time now better, and you you're, you're working with a better a better source material, as it were. Right, and all of that stuff is becoming so much cheaper. You know, like they're and are even like free, or you know, like there's it's at your fingertips now. You know. Okay, that, that that makes a lot of sense because you know when you think about all the art stuff that you learn in school and and all the different mm-hmm. technologies that have come and gone, it is it is interesting how that is one of those technologies that you know, like you had said, you worked in a quarry and did construction. Yeah. You now know how I can do this. <laughs> you know how to use a camera. It's not that difficult. Cameras are everybody has a camera at this point. Uh, right, a, a real quote unquote real camera is nothing. And then you know, right. software is not expensive. So yeah, you really no. No, there's nothing are, stopping you. Are you a lot of times you'll buy a piece of hardware and they'll give you their proprietary software, you know, mm-hmm. with it that you know you can do cool stuff. So back to um, the real quick thought about the quarry <laughs> was um, when my days in the rock quarry. No, um, when I say that, you know, one thing I would say about that is that it's kind of one of those things, and I will say this about software as well, is that um, with tools, it's almost like. Like my dad, when I I worked with him for some years before he moved to Missouri, and whenever we would be looking for a drill, because he worked in the elevator union for years, he's an elevator guy, okay. and um, he for many years, and and anyway, uh, whenever he'd ask for a drill, he'd call it a drill motor. He's all, "Where's that drill motor?" <laughs> because to him, to him, it's just a motor. It's a motor that spins, and yeah. I think about that because that is pretty much all every tool is. It's just at a different angle. It has a different purpose. Sometimes there's two together. Sometimes okay, there's a, yeah. And so that that being said, you can say, hey, do you know how to use that tool? And I can be like, I've never used that one, but I'm sure that within 20 minutes, I could probably use that tool. Yes. And it doesn't right. matter what it is, unless it's, you know, something, a CNC machine or something, you know, something that's, yeah. you know, whatever. But I'll say this about software too. And it's kind of like that too, because that's kind of what filmmaking animating is, is it's kind of presenting yourself with a bunch of problems mm. and trying to figure out how to do those. And, and, and they're within those programs and there's no manual for it necessarily. Right. There's manual for the tools, but even like you look at somebody like Kubrick, every single one of his films, he had to kind of, talk to the camera company or do this to get mm-hmm. things made for what he was trying to do. Mm-hmm. So that's now in, so I, I, it's the same way with software. I might not know a piece of software, but I feel like I can take a half an hour and I can probably get under the hood and we could probably figure out what, mm-hmm. what you need to get done with it. And, yeah. and I feel like, especially like the stuff that Adobe's made, I, I actually, I really think Adobe's an incredible company. And I was talking to my friend, he thinks that Photoshop is the greatest, uh, program ever written and i when he said that i was thinking you know that that's there's a strong argument for that because there's how many people use it in so many different ways and don't use it the same i mean there's Mm. it just gives you this basic set i even know i know animators that work 100 percent in photoshop yeah yes i've seen that you're like what What are you doing that's insane yeah Yeah. it's great i mean they do big commercial work 100 percent in photoshop so um so that being said that's when I say that I feel like that time really informed me. And it's not even so much like, oh, I learned how to, you know, install, you know, sinks or gas lines or whatever, which I did. Um, it's it's so much that conceptually, 
it's like, okay, I now know what it takes to actually make something, create it, mm-hmm. create, to create something. And part of the excitement of it is figuring out how to do it and not quite knowing, you know? Right. So I think that would, the best thing you could probably come out of school with is, is a sense like that. Like, okay, I'm going to be presented with a bunch of problems and I just need to dig, dig into what I know and figure it out and, and then find what will fill in the rest you know Mm. what i mean the best case scenario is that you just do really well right you Mm. just you know you have a career you just are a master of something and you you just never are not in demand right Mm -hmm. that's probably the best case scenario from the technical side best case scenario for maybe the artistic side is you have this incredible career where you're uh you know you're uh you know invited to the red carpet at the Met Gala, you know, maybe, <laughs> yeah. you know, like yeah. you know, that, that's pretty far fetched, but that, you know, it has happened or you it have a career happen. where you, or you have a career where you're just allowed to do, okay, here's, here's what the best case scenario you're, you just get to do what you want to do, you right. know, as an artist, you get to chase things yeah. and you get to create them. And there's never going to be a shortage of people that don't want to work with you just completely independent of any company that's or whatever you can just you can just be an artist and and it seems i don't really know what that means in the world right now but um but it's definitely possible and i also think that it's you know it's it 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 is a tough path you know art is a tough path i know we you talked about that you know mm-hmm. a little bit cuz it's kind of like you know, you go to school to become a doctor or something. That's hard, right? You got to know all kinds of stuff. But at the end of, if you do everything, you become a doctor. And uh, and then you can just be a doctor. Right. Our, our art is so much, like you say, it's not, a tan- it's so not tangible, you know, a lot of it. Yeah. You know, a lot of it's not tangible. And a lot of it's like, you know, it's, which kind of makes it exciting because it, it puts you in a world where there's a lot of possibility. But... But one thing I got to say is you do have to get used to rejection because it's just, you know, it's just part of the game, mm, you know? Yeah. So give me a list okay. of some artists. How do we scare the crap out of some kids and get them into some weird stuff? Who are some artists that you've worked with or that you dig that, okay. you know, people should be, you know, really taking a look at? Okay. So, wow. How how careful should I be? <laughs> Go for it. Go for it. Okay. Go for it. Well, people I've. I worked with, I'd say if you're into stop motion, you got to know who Bruce Bickford was. He was one of my best friends. He passed away last year. I actually just saw the Zappa doc last night that I worked on too. And it was incredible. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, it was amazing. Uh, in, in his part when it was beautiful, he worked for Frank Zappa, Frank Zappa. Look at Frank Zappa. Yeah. Um, Kenneth Anger was a, he was a friend of mine. I haven't seen him in many years, but he's a highly influential um, experimental filmmaker, maybe arguably the the godfather of the music video, of uh, video art. Martin Scorsese said that he got his idea to use contemporary music as opposed to score, orchestral score from the film Scorpio Rising by Kenneth Anger. Um, Alejandro Jodorowsky or Hodorowsky, who did the Holy Mountain, El Topo. That is some really out there stuff. That uh, uh, the good place to start with that. I'm a huge fan. Maybe not of some of the treatment of animals in some of those older films. Um, Horowski's Dune, about his attempt to make the movie Dune in the late 60s, is something I feel like everybody should watch. Um, if you don't know H.R. Giger, you should, of course. Um, mm. Gaspar Noé. Yeah. 
That's that's a rough. I met him. Yeah, that that's a rough one for for people. So yeah, be be be, yeah. be take that as a very very um, gentle walk. Proceed with caution. <laughs> yeah, there you Proceed go. Proceed with, with, with caution. extreme caution. Yes. Start with actually his last movie, and it was yes, rough. but yeah. Uh, but yeah, I actually met him in Tokyo. Oh, wow. It just oh. it was just totally bizarre. I just recognized him. He was in the staying in the same hotel I was and we talked for a minute. He was cool. Um who else? Um uh there's a okay, so an- another guy I kinda look up to is a filmmaker from Japan named Takashi Mike. <laughs> who Oh my god. Wow, and you were asking me like you were, we were just saying Gaspar Noe was rough, but oh man, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, but, okay, but here's the okay, right. So here's the here's the thing about Okay, yeah. I, okay, maybe I, maybe I maybe I should rescind that one. And if no if no one knows what that is, when you hear that, it'll ruin your life for at least a month. And it'll right. be worth it. <laughs> And also the the interesting thing, the reason why I say I kind of look up to him, it's not so much even by his films. I love his movie Gozu, but um, he makes these incredibly violent, insane, ethereal movies. But then he makes children's movies on oh, really? the side. Okay, yeah, I too, didn't realize that. Too, largely to finance those other movies he wants oh, to make. Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, okay. yeah. He, in Japan, you can kind of do these things. It's kind yeah. of interesting. Speaking of Japan... The band Ruins, R-U-I-N-S. Um, okay. They changed my life. I love them so much. They're they're a dense one. They're very uh, chaotic. <laughs> the band Magma from France. Um, uh, who else? It's an easy one, but you gotta you gotta hear you gotta know about King Crimson. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. You just have to. Um, <laughs> Hib, uh, the 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 company Hypnosis. Hib, H-I-P-G-N-O-S-I-S who made some of the greatest album covers of all time, uh, made all the, I think they did all the Zeppelin, all those bizarro Pink Floyd ones. Mm. Um, Gerald Scharf, Ralph Steadman, um, the movie The Wall, mm-hmm. Pink Floyd. That that I that was a huge jump-off point for me animation-wise. I saw that and I was thinking, that is, that is like... The kind of, that is the kind of animation I love, and that's by Gerald Scharf. Okay, it's, you know, um, so uh, gosh, I mean, I could dig deep, but that's that. Uh, <laughs> oh, it, here's a weird one. Um, there's an artist named uh, Andres Serrano. Okay, and the guy I worked for in New York actually worked that with him when he was starting, and he he caused a national controversy in when in because uh, some I, of I, the national and. Endowment for the art money went to him, and he did something that was considered "quote unquote" blasphemous. And it okay, went to okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. It took yeah. me a minute, but as you were saying, it, you're expl- yeah. you were soft selling it. I was like, I know exactly what this is. It's actually right. taught in so, every photography class, and uh, right. it's it's an image of religious icon and fluid, and you can figure it out very quickly. And it yeah. is probably one of the most important pieces of photography in the last fifty years. And because of that, because of the controversy around him, the people that were condemning him made him an absolute legend. Right. And and yeah. he did he did like two of those Metallica record covers. He's done like yeah. he's done so much. He's just he's huge. But yeah. uh, anyway, um, so gosh, I could think of many more, but maybe no, that, that's a that's maybe a pretty not. good that's a pretty good mind blender for people. 
And and after you probably uh, read go through those names, if you do, you might not you might think twice about. Uh, I hope that you'll still come say hello. To me in my <laughs> so I hope that gave you a little bit of insight as we kind of rambled around and talked about influences and people we like and people Aaron likes and things that really drove his career and drove his style. Because if you've ever dreamed about a career in art and design, and right now more and more art and design career opportunities are on the rise, employers are always on the hunt for the next generation of talented and, of course, skilled creative professionals. At Academy of Art University, you will get those work-ready skills that employers want. And you can study on-site in downtown San Francisco or, of course, anywhere in the world right now with our online programs. To request info about our 40-plus areas of study in art and design, including visual development, stop-motion animation, game development, you name it, visit our website at academyart.edu slash creativemind. And most importantly, please hit subscribe on whatever device you're listening to so you never miss an episode of Creative Mind. I'm Bobby Brill. Thanks for listening.